Welcome to the 3D Discipleship Podcast, where we discuss discipleship in the culture and church. We hope you will make disciples while bringing God glory and enjoying His goodness forever. And now for our host, Matt McMillan. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We are going to be answering a question from one of our listeners and then dealing with the second phase in spiritual growth, which is envisioning glory, uh, second phase in overcoming sin and really uh, moving towards that spiritual growth. Envisioning glory, what it looks like to be free of the sin struggle that you had in a pursuit of Christ. Okay, first, a listener question. When talking to people about Christ, especially people who have never known him, one of the common reasons for not believing is that science tells us different. In this conversation, I like to say that science is the explanation of how the world works, not why the world works. And this question is, is there a better way to navigate this conversation and are there examples in the text I could study to help better communicate that? That's from one of our listeners. Um, so Pastor Bill, Pastor Glenn are here with me. Uh, we're going to dig into this a bit and then move forward with our discipleship discussion. Guys, you got any thoughts on this? I love the question. I love the um, the idea that was brought to us in this um, I think the the best way to approach this is to find similarities um, that you can agree on concerning science. If you're a man of faith or woman of faith, instead of getting into a debate or an argument, that's mm. that's not healthy. So find some common ground of uh, of science and and what science can uncover and unpack and discover. Um, for instance, guys, what's what's some of the criteria, for example, for science? What's some of the ground rules for science? Hmm. This one's getting this gets tricky nowadays. I don't know if y'all are into metaphysics and stuff, but like, so the idea, Matt, that, if I can't spell it, I'm not into it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this the, the idea that matter can never be created nor destroyed, right? Um, energy cannot be created. Yep, yep. It can only be like, I don't know, recycled almost. Um, well, metaphysics kind of takes it to a different degree. So like in one sense, we could say that the Big Bang Theory is invalid because matter cannot be created. Well, there are new sciences out there that are studying beyond the realm of... Um, what we learned in seventh and eighth grade science <laughs> that try to explain those kind of things. How can matter be created when it, you know, when the, the mm. laws of physics say that matter cannot be created, how then is matter created? So they're trying to answer that metaphysics and, and other such sciences. But I would agree with you, Glenn, there, there are certain laws that kind of have bound science over time and we learn new laws so, like, we used to say that the earth revolved around, I mean, sorry, the sun revolved around the earth. Now we say the earth circles around the sun. So there's, like, new laws and stuff. I don't know if that doesn't really answer your question, really. But. Well, it's it's on track, I think. Um, what I was 
more looking for is actually a simpler answer <laughs> than what you gave. <laughs> that was really good. I'm such a but, nerd. But just the word research is what I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah. Uh, research, and, and that leads to experiments. But what does a scientist normally do? Oh, sorry, the scientific or, method. Yeah. Is that what you're looking yeah. for? Yeah. And, you know, you, you start with uh, <laughs> yeah. you start with a hypothesis right. yeah. or, or a theory because theory. You, don't, you don't know yes. what the answer is going to be. Mm-hmm. So you, you start with those things. And um, the point I'm trying to get across here is you probably will do multiple experiments that fail on the way to finding the answer. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So you can equate that then in a conversation to being a person of faith that there's still going to be failures. There's going to be some research. Mm. You got to research the scriptures to know more about God. Uh, you're going to have some times where you stumble and, f- and fail and fall. Um, but you're going to learn from those. Mm. Just like the scientist is going to learn what to say, okay, this doesn't work. We've proved this doesn't work. But then you got to take it from those points and equate it to how does that compare to faith? So there's there's waiting yeah. involved yeah. in that, right? Yeah. Waiting for the results of the test, the experiment, so forth. So there's waiting uh, for us. There's failing. There's learning from those mistakes. And I think, guys, would you agree with me that each one of those builds like uh, building blocks or steps uh, for more confidence because you, you grow from it yeah, and, and yeah. you learn more from each one of those. More affirmation, yeah. more solid evidence. and. But once you go to the scripture, I mean, what's, what's some of the um, passages or uh, places in the Bible that you would go to that maybe someone that is very science-minded could understand some of those principles? Hmm. What would you think? Well, is it safe to say that somebody maybe science-minded uh say the first chapter of genesis probably would i would think would grab them yeah um at least for exploration like let's discuss this let's see right right yeah um you know because i think one of the things i've often thought because i'm definitely not i am far from scientifically minded but i've often thought of having some friends that are i have one friend of mine is a chemist and so forth that sometimes the more they're uncovering these days the more they're realizing they don't really know the basis of everything which to me then leads back to well does that make you think that there might be somebody in charge of all of this right you know so that's just my first thought which goes back to the difference between how the world works and why the world works Mm. right Mm. so a lot of time is spent on the how and 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 you've always got to have an answer to that in a in a science yep. context. Yeah, I mean you can even think about that just in what scientists are trying to do with COVID nineteen. Like, how is this working? How is this adapting? And so forth and so on. So it makes sense. But there comes a time when when even science can't explain something. Yeah. Then what do you do with that? Yeah, that just keeps laying out there, un, unsolved. It's this big mystery. It becomes a hypothesis that has no yeah. test, scientific method to it. That's, so, yeah, it's tough. So when when can you move from the science logical mindset to, you know, who's, like you said, Bill, who's behind all this? 
<clears throat> you know, can we get to a conversation about could there possibly actually be a creator mm. of all this? Yeah. Then, That's a great that, question. Then that opens up all kind of conversations. That's, that's really answers the question well of, um, for somebody who is really wrestling with faith or coming to faith or not even, you know, even entertaining the idea, how do you, how do you lead into a good conversation about creationism and, and what we believe about how God created and, and yeah. why God created? I think both kind of there and, and does, yeah, that's good Good point, Glenn, because does God describe how he created the world? Does God describe why he created the world? And I think you have to press into Scripture to understand if he does answer those things. Um, You know, does God address the how and does God address the why? And and I think if, again, if you have any science friends in your lives, scientists like to work through the process and find the discovery. You know, they, that idea, they build a theory or hypothesis, they work through it, um, and, and they get to the bottom line. Um, I think one of the things is, as Christians, and we need to grasp is, we're not going to have all the answers. No. Right. Um, Otherwise, we don't have faith. W- right. Yeah, and, yeah. and I've often thought if we had all the answers, then we're actually above God, yeah. if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, faith, not by sight. Yeah, so... Um, that's a struggle sometimes for scientists because they, they work through processes to get to the final solution and you go, I don't have a solution, but I have faith in this area or whatever. So, yeah. And also when, when you, when you think about how science, the more they unpack and discover, um, about our bodies, about our minds, even about other planets, other stars and galaxies, you know, it's just another layer of creation Mm -hmm. that they're finding. So, um, science in many ways actually supports what we as believers already have faith in that that there is this amazing creator that's created this amazing universe Hmm. um and knows every part about it including us as humans and 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 it supports what the word is saying i mean this is kind of uh i don't know old school or whatever but you know philosophers years ago they swore that the the world was flat right hmm. so that you know you see these drawings of of <laughs> ships going over the edge right because they hey, went out still flat earth yeah. around the <laughs> I was day, say, what are you talking about <laughs> yeah. Glenn? Was but, the but, you know but scripture there's a, a there's flat. a there's a verse that talks about <laughs> the earth being a circle yeah. and so it was already there for us yeah but science had to discover that you know mm-hmm. in their own way so and and god's not playing catch up to science science is playing catch up to god yes. so there you go that's for a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> I, so i have three i think three ways that we can help to interpret scripture with those who are wrestling with science cool maybe this is a good lens first you have to discover if the bible is discussing it as historical at any point mm. in mm-hmm. scripture so let me give you an example of that. You could ask the question, is Jonah historical? Is it poetic? Is it just a fun story? Or is it something that actually happened Jonah lived? Because we have, I mean, we have narratives. I mean, we, I, sorry, we have parables. So, I mean, Jesus teaches parables, and we don't say that every single one of his parables were historical. 
Right. They were teaching points. Right. So was Jonah a teaching point or was it a historical person? So one of the things you can do is you can look at other texts, especially Jesus or Paul, and say, did Paul believe that it was a historical, did Jesus believe that it was historical? So like Adam, Jonah, all these different things. If they're later affirmed as something historical, that kind of helps you to wrestle with that and grasp that. Is this something that's historical or just a story? Um, another thing that you can ask if if you see that science and scripture, if you if you feel that science and scripture may be um, at odds with one another, ask you. Some might ask, did we misinterpret scripture? Did we wrongly interpret scripture? And because of that wrong interpretation, the science, which looks like to be right, Bible wrong, was actually because we misinterpreted scripture, not because scripture is wrong. And then the third is, did we misalign the genre? So if you find scripture at odds with science in any way, um, I think either you've misaligned genre, so you're saying that it's something that it's not, it's a different type of genre, which is similar to the first question, um, or uh, we've just misinterpreted the meaning of the passage in general, I think. I like that. That's good stuff. I think that, and I think that frees scientists up to, to, and it frees Christians up to not have to defend parts of scripture that aren't um, historical or literal. Like there's things that, sorry, literal is a bad way because people just jump out of their seats. What I mean by literal is different genres portray different types of meaning and truth. Like you just portray truth in different ways in a parable than you do in a historical, like, you know, uh, numbers when it's listing out how many people are in each camp and such. It's written differently than when Luke or Matthew records one of Jesus' parables, right? right? Both communicating truth, they're just doing it in a different way. So they're both literal, they're just different ways of mm. communicating truth. So we have to make sure that we understand what what is this text trying to communicate and how is it communicating truth hmm. rather than just um, assuming. So is, does that kind of, what, what is some pushback against that that we could help our listeners out with? Hmm. I don't, I don't know if I have any. Is it, um, do you feel like you've misinterpreted any passages in the past or that the church has that you're like, huh, we should have interpreted that differently? Because of it, it created some odds with science we really shouldn't have done. Well, so I, I'm not saying I misinterpreted, but here's here's one that we probably hear quite often. Um, God created the world, six days. How old's the world? Is yeah. it 10,000? Is it 10 million? Is it 10 zillion? <laughs> you know, science, um, I think I just said 10 <laughs> zillion. You did. Yeah. I did. I'm looking that it's up. Four on <laughs> it, it is. I've been up for a couple hours. You have to bear with me. Um, you know, I've, I've had good conversations where, yeah. you know, and, and uh, we're not going to solve all that today, no. but, you know, you have, well, you know, we think the Grand Canyon's been here for 17 million years, and you're saying the world's only 10,000 years old. What is? How does that play out? And how so do we forth? reconcile that with science? Yeah. yeah. And then some of the classic ones are like, because um, I, I think you can come to a firm grasp uh, that that I think I think you can come to a firm conclusion there. I think that ones that like uh, when was Jesus born? We're reading into the text something like. Zero AD is not when Jesus was born. 
Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah, I see but what we you got th- We say that, and then a scientist <clears throat> could look at us and go, well, you're wrong there, or a historian could look at us and say... I see what you mean. Okay, you're right. Yeah, 4 right. to 6 BC is right, 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 probably right, born. Right. So, you know, there's there's things we miscalculated yeah. through, through the years, and um, it's not fair to say that if, if we miscalculated that, the scripture's wrong. It was a misinterpretation of scripture, and that's on us, Yeah, not on scripture. Yeah. So there's some things we need to stand firm on, and there's other things that we've probably done a poor job at defending through the years. <laughs> Imagine that, humans messing up God's <laughs> word. <laughs> I'm not very good at that. Surprise. So I think there's an element of humility when we come to science. And Absolutely. And, and I think this is a key thing that I'd like to leave us on, and then let's move into the discipleship discussion. Have, have you shared everything you're thinking through, Pastor? No, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think leaving this, we've gone through... Um, couple hundred years at least where science dominated culture um, which really pushed Christianity hard and almost pushed them out of culture um, to where you know the western mind which was exploring science heavily started to kind of push Christianity off we see this in western Europe and then it moved to, to America heavily and so if you couldn't defend it by experience by scientific method or something like that then it wasn't true well you couldn't defend resurrection they would say you couldn't defend resurrection you couldn't defend a cre- creation so you couldn't defend all these things so therefore it must not be true so then we would calculate Christianity as false right based on scientific reason well our culture has shifted from science now we now have moved to experience feeling emotion so uh a post postmodern world is dominated by emotion. It's dominated by less experience. That's why you see um, churches that are flourishing right now are not churches that can defend the faith in front of science. It's churches that can create emotion. So you see um, um, the mo- I'm going to be careful with my words here. Mm-hmm. The most popular churches tend to be those um, easy. Sorry, easy believism plus prosperity gospel type churches. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because it makes me feel good. Right. It makes me cry enough. It makes me happy enough. It makes me do all these. And as long as it makes me feel these emotions, mm-hmm. church was good. You know what I'm saying? So, mm. so we've shifted from can you defend faith in front of science now to can you make an emotion that's equivalent with what the world wants. Yeah. So now we're in a completely different culture. But for those who are asking about science, yeah, we have to recognize, I think this is important, um, we have to recognize as we shift from science to emotion, there will be a marriage between the two that still remains to the point where some will defend emotion and um, feelings with science so that when you engage scripture, you have to understand that some will defend their feelings with a science, and now scripture is battling two things. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost uh, harder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in, we're in new charter territories. But nobody asked about that, so I guess I shouldn't <laughs> keep talking about it. But we do need to talk about envisioning glory. So let's, uh, let's dig into this for a moment. So... Envisioning glory is moving from recognizing sin to what would it be like to be without sin in your life? What would it look like if your life did not consist of that temptation or that 
sin. Or at least if you mm. did have that temptation, you took it captive and you didn't let it flourish into a thorn in your flesh or a sin that overcomes you. Boy, that'd be nice. Right? That'd be nice. Thinking. Sorry. It's good. Let me ask you some prompting questions. Yeah. How do you envision life in heaven? Hmm. No more revelation, no more pain, no No more more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. Sounds emotional, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But but they pain, sorrow, death, sin. Yeah. Okay. What in your life do you struggle with right now that is related to pain or sorrow? And you don't have to get personal. You can talk about other things or something you, you've dealt with. Uh, I mean, like physical pain right now, my right Achilles tendon has been driving me nuts lately. Okay. Be so nice to walk without that. Envisioning glory, that <laughs> yeah. pain will not exist in right. heaven. Right, right. Okay, so... Will I be able to run as fast as my kids then? No. That'd be neat. <laughs> um, so take that idea and move it into a temptation. So Achilles being free of pain, what is there in your life that is a temptation that will be freed from in heaven? Mm. And you don't have to talk about you personally, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can think about it across the board. So someone who has the temptation to steal from someone, which when someone steals from someone, it affects that person's, what they have, their property. You steal $100 from someone who only has $100. Now they don't have the money to provide food that they need. So you've really destroyed this person. Okay. Well, if that still, that temptation to steal doesn't exist anymore, you can envision glory where that doesn't exist. Two things could happen. One, the person who has a temptation to steal doesn't have that temptation. Two, the person who was going to get stolen from now has everything they need. So heaven really is glorious because it provides both for the oppressor and the oppressed. The oppressor is relieved of temptation. The oppressed is relieved of being stolen from, of being oppressed. So you can see the beauty there. What do you guys, you've mentioned four from Revelation, what are some glory things that you would like for our people at church or people you've led in your past? Some things you'd like to see them freed of. First thing that comes to my mind is just how many people, especially younger people, teenagers, young adults, new new families, the idea of the anxiousness that they have of the future and so forth. Mm-hmm. Like to see that gone and to see them living anxious free, like full, full of energy and excitement. You know, like I, on a side note, anxiousness, it drains us. So to think about, that one, you wouldn't be anxious and you would have that energy level brought back up and what you could do for the Lord, full energy like that, boy, mm-hmm. that would be really neat to see. And I've seen people have victory in it. Um, and it's joyful because they're just on fire because they have all this energy. So that that's something that I would love to, the anxiousness of what is next, whether it's with politics or COVID or all this stuff that's going on right now. To see all that wiped clean 
and yeah it would that would be beautiful <laughs> so we are fueled by emotion and feelings in our culture now sure which is why anxiety i, I think is why anxiety is thriving absolutely because every outlet social media news anything needs to fuel that anxiety correct to fuel our culture yeah we're counteracting that in the church by saying do not worry matthew chapter 6 because when the kingdom of god is at hand when the kingdom when heaven comes to earth as jesus prays now that don't worry is coming down and our people are not worried here and that's what envisioning glory is Envision what you will have in heaven has come down to earth. And then, and the fact that we can experience some of that right now. Yeah. Not to the fullest extent. Yeah. But we can. I mean, that's why Jesus is praying in that way in the model prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Yeah. On earth, what we will have in heaven. Yeah. So it's that idea of we are bowing on earth like we will in heaven, becoming on earth what we will be in heaven, and battling on earth like we will have won already in heaven. So what, is it, what does it look like to become what we will be in heaven? It's no more pain, no more sorrow, mm-hmm. no more sin. It's mm-hmm. all those things have been wiped away. Mm-hmm. And so you're envisioning your life without that, without those things. It's pretty awesome. And that is an awesome thing to walk with somebody and help them have kind of like to having the scales removed from their eyes and they start to realize that. Yeah. And they realize then how temporary this is. Mm. It's, it's a time that they've got to get through right now, but they, they can have the hope that true believers actually trust and have faith and believe in Mm. that one day this is going to be all gone. Mm. Just a season. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm thinking the song I Can Only Imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think that was an artist way of struggling with words, struggling with thoughts to say, what is that going to be like? You know, am I, am I going to run? Am I going to dance? Am I going to fall flat on my face? Mm. Because all this stuff is going to be over with. Mm. And I think he really, really struggled to find those words and so he's like, I can, I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's a good word. Okay. So we have helped someone to recognize their sin, to walk through that process of turning or repenting from their sin, Yeah. to take the necessary steps they need to, to kind of acknowledge that, confess that with others, confess that with God. Um, and then... So this envisioning glory process of looking at what is going on in life now, what heaven will look like, and then drawing heaven into earth to say, okay, Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. So we're not going to have anxiety right. today, yep. Yep. which is a really just a heavenly promise because there's no worry and anxiety in heaven. But today we can have that freedom. Why? Because we have Christ, the Holy Spirit in us. Um, so we can have that freedom now. But it's a freedom that's promised in heaven. So what does that look like now? So really what you're doing is you're helping people who have recognized their sin to envision what that would look like in heaven. And I, said, I know I've said that multiple times, but what, what we're going to do next week is look at how we can practically lead someone who has recognized sin, repented, turned, confessed, all the things, and now wants to find freedom. What would freedom even look like? How do you even picture that? And again, 
it's a joy to come along some somebody with those practical yeah. applications because again to see life change in somebody and to see God have victory in and through them mm. um, I'm gonna butcher the quote because I don't remember the exact quote yeah but I it was like weight watchers are one of them again because I've shared my struggle with my weight and so forth it's that idea of they say, you know, sometimes we're in the moment and, and we just can't see past yeah. not eating something and seeing what's next for us. Yeah. Like, can I, wow, can I really picture myself a hundred pounds lighter? I don't know. I've been looking in the mirror for so long, but if you can really envision that and see what that looks like now, you kind of have that. It's almost like you have that carrot that you're running after. Uh, so this morning when I think it was Pastor Glenn said for every pound we lose, four pounds or yeah, three yeah pounds? he said he said four pounds of off pressure your off your knees so every pound you lose is four pounds of pressure off of your right knees. so if you lose 20 pounds it's like you've removed 80 pounds of pressure off your knees and your first thought was you my, literally took it to your life my first thought is i right now have lost 45 pounds and if i'm adding up correctly <laughs> that's 180 pounds yes. of pressure off of my knees your immediate thought was to envision glory absolutely which is awesome because now you can take that into your next journey, next phase in this journey. Right, because now I'm thinking, I know what I want to lose next, and I will take more. Hopefully, one day, one day, I will tell everybody what my final goal is. But I'm thinking, wow, I could take off another X amount of pressure, mm-hmm. and that's just not on your knees, by the way, folks. If any, if if you're listening to this and you struggle with your weight, it's not just about your knees; it's about every part of your body, like the pressure you have on your shoulders, your feet, your ankles. I mean, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, yeah. Sorry, I went on. No, no, no it's yeah. good because that is envision and glory. What would my life look like if I treated this temptation differently? And for you, you've taken that captive. And so, for those that you lead, we need to talk with them about what it looks like to take 180 pounds of pressure off of their knees. Yeah. Because it feels good. It does. Right. And because one day we're going to run a 5K together. We're going to run a 5K. And I, I'm going to try to dunk on Pastor Matt <laughs> <laughs> at five foot nine right here, baby. <laughs> That's the fun. That's the glory of it. And, yeah, and it it's is. a spiritual journey. It is. That is definitely a spiritual journey. And we have to understand that every disciple is in a different type of journey. So you have to contextualize what the glory looks like for them. Yeah. If they're not willing to confess, if they're not willing to recognize sin, you cannot picture the envisioning glory. So don't move from recognizing sin to envisioning glory um, too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You might envision the wrong glory. They may yeah. be going, that wouldn't really help me yeah. in my life. So that was a good thing. Yeah, okay. so, ne- so next week yep. we'll talk a little bit more about practical, practical application, maybe helping people break in those habits and so forth. And you know, yeah, What's some practical steps to envision that what that glory looks like for their own lives? Some verses in Scripture that we can go to to say, okay, this is a little... little um, preview one of my favorite passages is romans 8 1 i use it quite often there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus i I think it's just one of the most epic passages ever because it's romans 7 is romans 7 to me is that recognizing sin you are addicted to sin right right you're a slave to sin is what paul calls it right and then romans 8 is you're a free and so it's that, I think Romans 8 is the freedom. I think it's the envisioning glory phase. It's, man, what would it look like not to be That's caught? That's cool. What would it look like not to be a slave to sin? It looked like Romans 8. So we're going to talk about that nice. next week. 
Sweet. All right, man. Thanks for being on it. Hope you got some answers today for your questions. We'd love to answer more of your questions uh, and talk through those things and then uh, walk with you through discipleship. So if you're not in a discipleship environment, let us know how we can help you get connected with a church around you or get connected with our church. And we'd love to help you become a disciple of Christ. All right. Talk to you later. If you would like to connect with us, email us at info at discoverwbc.com. 